We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. like there might be a little delay. I guess that's just normal. So at any rate, we are doing a show this morning from 860 AM WGUL. This is a Salem broadcasting station, and we're going out over, I believe, one of the FM stations in the area, iHeart, a lot of social media. So you can pick me up anywhere, 9 to 10 AM Eastern Standard Time every Sunday. And we talk about politics and religion and health and medicine and science and whatever. We like all kinds of topics and we like to keep it interesting. And let's see if we can do that today. Well, Congressman John Lewis, one of the icons, uh, one of the giants of the civil rights movement of the 20th century has died. And he was a long-term congressman as well. And they called him the conscience of the Congress. And uh, Andrew Young, another one of the civil rights leaders from the 20th century, he was also mayor of, uh, of Atlanta for a few years when I was living there. He called him the closest thing to a saint that he's ever met. Apparently, John Lewis was born a sharecropper child, her son, son of a sharecropper, and uh, went and got an education, got involved with uh, Reverend Martin Luther King, and... Uh, was involved in the civil rights movement, even got a skull cracked by a state trooper, I think in Alabama, marching peacefully. And so uh, he was an icon and and a great man, and uh, we mourn his loss. Now, I disagreed with his politics, like uh, so many other of the black leaders of the 20th century, socialism was their mantra. And uh, I understand that, I understand the desire for redistribution of wealth uh, and for uh, helping those who have been denied the same access and the same equality as uh, other members of society. I understand the desire to assist them in, in a number of ways, including financially. But I, uh, as you know, I'm, a, I'm not a big fan of socialism. Now, you might wonder where these guys got these uh, these morals and values. Of course, Karl Marx had lived in the 19th century, and uh, he had started his communist movement back then along with Engels, and it had spread to Russia and then to China and uh, Eastern Europe, a lot of the world for a long time was communist, socialist, whatever you want to call it. Uh, socialism, communism light is socialism. Well, there was a guy named Dubois, W.E.B. Dubois. He was uh, a fellow from upstate New York who was born 
around the time of the Civil War, and he lived into, gosh, I mean, he was almost 100 years old when he died. And he was uh, Harvard educated. He came from a racially mixed family, and he was therefore considered the first uh, black graduate of Harvard back in the day. And uh, he got his degree in sociology. He went on to be a great civil rights leader and to be involved with uh, uh, the movements of the 20th century, including the foundation of the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. And uh, he was in a fight with Booker T. Washington, who was the Southern black educator who said that blacks should take a, a backseat role to the whites until uh, there was more social evolution. And Dubois said, no, we have to be uh, forward and pushing and adamant, although he was a pacifist, he still believed that one had to push, and, and that he did. And he made enemies over the years. Now, he also embraced socialism, and he was friends with a number of communists, and I think even one of his wives was a, a card-carrying communist, which was not that uncommon back in the 1930s and 40s. Uh, my Aunt Tilly and Uncle Willie were card-carrying communists at, at one point. My father and my mother were both ultra-liberal, as I've told you guys before. So that was the mantra, especially among Jews and blacks back at, at that time. And that's changing now, although we hear a lot about Black Lives Matter and their uh, socialist agenda, their communist agenda. Uh, don't be fooled by that. Most people like the American ideal, the American way of life, uh, the idea of freedom of enterprise, freedom of property, personal property, uh, the ability to move up, to be upwardly mobile. And in a socialist society, there's not a lot of that. There's not a lot of that because basically it's a, it's a, an imperial society. There's the oligarchy or the, uh, the big cheese at the top like Stalin and then everybody else who's not in the little 0.01% in crowd is uh, just down there doing their thing and, and uh, getting what the state will allow them to have. So Dubois, although he was a great man and he did a lot of great things for the black movement, uh, the civil rights movement in the 20th century. Uh, he also was not on my, uh, on my page when it comes to socioeconomics. And I, again, understand why people opt for that, why they go to that. But, you know, we have to be honest now. We haven't gotten to where we are as a nation by being socialist or communist. We've gotten to where we are by being a free enterprise country with the uh, ability for us to move up if we so choose, if we work hard. Uh, of course, we need some native abilities, but most of us have that. And we see upward mobility, not only of white Americans, but brown Americans, black Americans, uh, Oriental Americans, uh, Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans. Everybody has that opportunity to move up. And that's a good thing. We should have that. And I think that's the great part of living in a free society like ours. Now, of course, it's, it's not absolute. There's no absolute freedom. Come on. We know that. There's always going to be some restrictions, but uh, we also don't want this anarchy that's going on. And the, the president, for all that he's being criticized for, is uh, spot on on this. You know, you cannot have a country 
with anarchists running it, because that's not a country. And of course, that, as I've said, always devolves into uh, a dictatorship. You know, there's always a strong uh, authoritarian reaction to any kind of anarchism. And what the left would like is for this anarchy to spread and then have that authoritarianism come in as socio-communistic government, which is just a fascist with uh, more ownership of the state. So what are you going to do? So at any rate, Dubois got caught up in the, uh, the uh, McCarthy hearings in the early 1950s uh, because he was hanging out with communists. And McCarthyism, uh, for all of its criticism, uh, did slow down the spread of communism in the United States. And Dubois was stripped of his uh, passport for a number of years. He finally got it back, uh, I think, in the, late, in the early 50s, mid-50s. And he did travel uh, throughout his life to Europe and Africa. And he was involved in uh, African uh, freedom movements and in calling for uh, pan-African uh, self-rule and equality in the world community. He ended up in Ghana, and he was there when Ghana became a, an independent country. I think one of the first in sub-Saharan Africa to have obtained that. And so this was a big deal uh, for sub-Saharan Africa and also for Dubois. He cherished the idea of having been involved in helping this country obtain its freedom from colonialism. And he was anti-colonial, uh, so he was along with Woodrow Wilson on that. And he actually died in, in Ghana, and he had a state funeral in Accra, which is the capital of Ghana. We've got a cardiologist on staff from uh, Ghana at our hospital, and uh, she's a, a really nice lady, very bright and uh, energetic and interesting woman to talk to. So uh, apparently that country has done well. They have one of the largest hydroelectric plants in sub-Saharan Africa. It provides a lot of the power for the country. And although it's not a large country by population, apparently they're doing well. Uh, they're relatively affluent. And uh, so Dubois has left his handprint on the world, and so has John Lewis. John Lewis, we uh, honor his life, and we uh, say goodbye to an old warrior and friend. And... Uh, with that, we'll move on to something else. How'd that sound? Any good? You're sounding good, Doc. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So we good morning, we gave, by the way. Good morning. We yeah, we gave a little gave a little shout out there to the uh, famous black leaders of the 20th century, the 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 guys that led the, uh, the civil rights movement and the march for social justice. And you know, these guys went through a lot. Can you imagine getting your skull cracked for? marching peacefully across a bridge in Alabama. Oh, my gosh. And that was an easy we, day. Yeah, now it's the other way around. The police are marching peacefully, <laughs> yeah. and they're getting cracked <laughs> on the head. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What a country we live in, huh? Always evolving. Always evolving, yes. That's and, right. And, you know, John Lewis, he was surprised that we had a black president within his lifetime, as I, as was I. You know, I, I didn't think I'd see that. But then when the 21st century turned uh, turned the corner, I said, you know what? We're going to have a black president here soon because there's just not that much racism anymore. Most people are accepting of the fact that 
black Americans are just as capable as white Americans or yellow Americans or brown Americans. I know my wife's capable of a lot of things, uh, especially hitting me in the face with her foot. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, hopefully she doesn't do that very often to you, Doc. Only when I'm really bad, okay. <laughs> when I, which is when I don't listen to her. <laughs> so, uh, so listen, they've got the vaccine out now, Ken. Uh, they're doing clinical trials, and they've got a trial going over in Orlando, one up in Atlanta and at Baltimore and a few other places around the country uh, for the COVID vaccine. And so uh, I was talking with one of the guys in the lunchroom, one of the doctors, and I said, you know, I'm going to get in that study. I want to get that. Uh, I want to get that vaccine. And so he jokingly said, well, aren't you afraid of autism? Because, you know, the big scare with the measles vaccine back in the 1990s, which was a lot of baloney, that it caused autism in kids. And that was disproven. And the two British doctors that had uh, put that study out where uh, one of them lost his medical license for lying uh, in a research project. And the other one, of course, lost his university status. But at any rate, he said, aren't you worried about autism? I'm like, mm, marital autism, that might be a good thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Look <But> at me. <laughs> but no. it did it did lead to a bunch of anti-vaxxers right now. On the, it, it did, yeah. and it's it's made a real mess. And, you know, a lot of the anti-vaxxers are the, uh, they're the teenage uh, mothers who just are not responsible enough yet to get their kids in. And then they're 30 to 40-year-old women who are educated, who have gotten onto this bandwagon. There's probably the same people that are, you know, trying to be vegans and uh, eating uh, only organic foods and non-genetically modified foods. And, and I always tell people, they say, what do you think of genetically modified foods? I said, you've been eating them for decades and you have no choice. Everything you eat has been genetically modified. Everything from milk to wheat to corn to rice to beef to pork. Everything has been genetically modified. So good luck finding something that's not genetically modified. You say, well, I'm going to go buy a pack of seeds at, up there at, at uh, the Home Depot or Lowe's and plant them because I know they won't be genetically modified. You know what? I, I met the couple. We spent a week with them in uh, Perugia, Italy. Our next-door neighbor had rented a, uh, an old uh, castle there that was rental property, small castle, up on a hill above Perugia, which is in central Italy, on Lake Transamina. And so one of the couples that they had invited were from southern Indiana, and they'd gotten into the feed and seed business back in the 1960s because the woman's father had started the business. It was a, a farm store, and they supplied not only tractors and plows, but also feed and seed. And so they started selling genetically modified seeds back in the late 60s. And so when the old man died, they took it over and they just turned it into just a, a, a seed and, and uh, uh, you know, herb, herb, herbiculture, is that the right word? Horticulturalist? Yeah, herbiculturalist, horticulturalist, whatever. And so they had been selling genetically modified seeds since the 1970s the late 60s, the early 70s. And I had to laugh. And I said, so you're telling me that basically all of the grains that, that are being planted and all of the tomatoes and all that, they're all, they said, oh, yeah, everything's been genetically modified for decades. So 
good luck finding something that's not genetically modified. So at any rate, getting back to the vaccine situation. So the, the vaccines now, what they're doing is they're using uh, uh, one company, AstraZeneca, is using an adenovirus, which is a, a cold virus that's been weakened. And so it's not very infectious uh, in humans. And what they did is they spliced in, this is pretty cool, Ken, they spliced in the, the uh, part of the genetic code that codes for those little spikes sticking off of the coronavirus. You know what I'm talking about? Sure, yeah. I've seen the pictures, seen the drawings. So, yeah, so those little spikes are what attach to our cells and allow the virus to get into our cells. So the idea is that it will stimulate our immune system to make antibodies to the, uh, to the um, they call it the S protein or the, the attachment protein that is now sticking off of this adenovirus. Now, there's another company, um, and I forget the name of it. I'll, I'll probably pull that up in a minute. But they have developed another way of doing it. They've genetically engineered uh, a, a protein with this thing sticking off of it that will also, uh, so it's not a live vaccine. It's, um, it's an inactive uh, vaccine that will stimulate the same response using this S protein. And there's also uh, a group in China that are doing similar work. So we've got uh, some good data already on this. Now, Fauci says that we may have to be revaccinated every year. Well, you know, so what? As if that's a big deal. I guess it is cost-wise, but we get the flu vaccine every year anyway. At least I do, Ken. I don't know about Yeah, you. every year you get a flu shot. At least the yeah. last few yeah. years I have been, yeah. Yeah, especially as we're getting older and we're more susceptible to all of these problems and diseases. And, you know, the, the uh, COVID virus, it's, it's killing mostly people my age and up, you know, 65, 70 and up. That's when the curve really almost goes uh, vertical on, on who dies from this. And by the way, the death rate is dropping as more and more people are being tested and we're finding more and more positive people. We know the death rate's much lower, way below 1%. And a lot of the people that are dying are at death's door to begin with. You know, they're in stage dementia or bad lung disease or heart disease. So, uh, you know, it's hard to say exactly whether you're dying of the COVID virus or if the COVID virus is a comorbidity in a number of diseases that you already have. And this is just sort of like the straw that broke the camel's back. But at any rate, the vaccines are coming out and I want to get it. Uh, and I'm serious. I, I do. I want to go get it. And people say, well, what about the side effects? Well, the only side effects that, that I've seen in, in the literature so far have been the same things you get from a flu shot, which is uh, some local uh, uh, irritation and redness and tenderness in your arm where you get the shot, maybe a little uh, fever for a day and a little achiness and, you know, kind of a flu-like syndrome. And then that's it. Big deal. Take a couple of ibuprofen or taking a leave. You'll be fine. Shut up. Get in line. That's my order. Is that too harsh? <laughs> no, I'll be first in line, Doc. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. Listen, if I can get in on it. The only problem is, is the one over in Orlando, they are doing a double-blind placebo-controlled study, which means that they're giving one person the, the uh, salt water shot and the other person the live vaccine. And, of course, the researchers don't know what they're giving and the pharmacists that send it out don't know what they're sending out because it's the pharmacists behind them at the at the plant that are uh, divvying this up and mixing it up so you don't know who's getting what. 
uh, only the only the people way back at the at the at the beginning of the uh, of the production line actually know who's getting it. So I don't know if I can manipulate the situation to make sure that I'm getting the live vaccine because I don't want to just go over there and get a saline shot. Driving over to Orlando is a pain <laughs> in the you know what. And I ain't doing that, dude. I ain't doing that for anything. If you're going all that way, you're going to get the real thing, right? I want the real yeah, stuff. Right. Okay. So did you get that uh, blurb on Fauci talking about the uh, uh, talking about the hydroxychloroquine? Yeah, it's ready when you are, sir. Yeah, let's let's cue that up. I want to beat up on him some more. I don't like that guy. <laughs> okay, hang on. <laughs> Is that wrong? No, I'm not no. I'm so sure it should be banned, but clearly the, the scientific data is, is really quite evident now about the lack of efficacy for it and even the possibility that there could be, not could be, but there's, you know, the likelihood that under certain circumstances might be rare, but you'd see it, adverse events, particularly with regard to cardiovascular and the arrhythmias that may be associated with it. I mean, there was suspicion of that for a while. But as data comes in, it becomes more clear. So I'm not so sure you'd want to ban it, but certainly the data are clear right now. Baloney. Okay, so he was referring to a study that was published in The Lancet and in the New England Journal of Medicine in uh, May, um, a month and a half, two months ago. And the next week they retracted it and they said that it wasn't true. Uh, that the study was flawed and that the data was was uh, ponied up. So the guy's not reading the research. I have done the research and I've got papers here on my desk showing its uh, value in treating and in, in killing the virus. And it's been shown in the lab in live cells. And what they did is they, they uh, tried to simulate the same conditions that would be in our lungs and then they use different levels of hydroxychloroquine, Plaquenil, and put it into the mix to see what it would do. And you know what? It stopped the viruses from replicating, and the cells didn't die. Now, does that mean it'll work in human beings, in, in, in vivo, in life, in, in a real situation? Well, as I talked about a few weeks ago, the study out of Henry Ford Hospital up in Detroit showed that there was uh, almost a 50% reduction in deaths in the two groups, uh, the one that received the placebo and the one that received the Plaquenil uh, of patients who are being treated for the COVID virus in hospital. Now, what we do know is that late in the disease, it doesn't help. But does it help early on? I think so. You know, I think it has some, some, some value. And, uh, you know, I don't have the the case studies yet or the data, but the few people that I have used it on who had uh, what seemed to be the coronavirus, COVID virus symptom, symptoms, uh, started them on it early and uh, they got well in a hurry. You know, they got over it. So the uh, the use of the, uh, of, the, of the Plaquenil may not be all that valuable in hospital, especially with all the other treatments that we have, the uh, the anti-clotting medication that we use, the, the steroids like dexamethasone and prednisone, uh, the antibiotics that we're using, and the antiviral drugs like remdesivir. All these things have absolutely positively decreased the mortality rate. There's no doubt about it. We've learned how to deal with this fairly well without a specific uh, treatment 
as yet a specific vaccine or a specific antiviral uh, uh, antibody, or not antibody, but antibiotic, antiviral antibiotic that uh, is targeted specifically for the COVID virus. Remdesivir was developed for general use and uh, trials, especially of HIV, and it wasn't that effective. So, uh, but it's being studied, and it seems to work fairly well if you get it in time. So what about hydroxychloroquine? Well, maybe it would be good for prophylaxis, for prevention. Maybe those who are at high risk, like me, for contracting the virus because I work with people who have it, and I'm a doctor, and I'm also come in contact with a lot of people, and so I never know who's going to have it. And uh, even one of the guys in the lunchroom yesterday, he's an infectious disease doctor. He just sneezed right into my face. <laughs> It's like how rude, it, Doc. How rude. Oh man. And I'm thinking, this guy's been about been around people with the COVID virus because he's an infectious disease doctor working in a hospital. And I didn't say anything to him because he's he's got, I think, marital autism or something. <laughs> <laughs> or social autism. <laughs> I still like him. He's a good guy. But that's not the first doctor that's coughed and sneezed in the lunchroom. And I'm like, Without a mask on, you know, come on, you guys, get real here. So I don't know what my exposure is. And, you know, Ken, I've been taking Plaquenil now for, God, since early March. And, of course, my sisters will say, oh, you're just following what Trump did. We had Plaquenil. We had 500 hits of Plaquenil, the wife and I did, before the president even heard or knew what Plaquenil was. So don't give me that stuff. I'm not following Trump. He's following me. Dr. Bill has led the nation, right? Absolutely. Did I have I led us on masks? You did, sir. I did. And on Plaquenil and, and now on the remdesivir, we really did a lot. And uh, so we're getting there. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a break. This is, sounds like a good time. And then we'll come back and talk a little bit about the president's ideas on opening up the country. And uh, I got to tell you about one of the nurses, too. So she... Put a bug in my ear, and I'll let you in on that when I come back. I am Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Don't go away. I'll be right back. But seems to be so hard to get. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. A federal appeals court has overruled a judge's decision that allowed the Texas Republican Party to hold an in-person convention in Houston marking a win for the nation's fourth-largest city in an ongoing battle with the state GOP. In an order issued yesterday, the 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals stayed Friday's ruling that would have permitted the Republican Party of Texas to host an in-person convention at the George R. Brown Convention Center. The Blue Jays will not be playing their home baseball games in Toronto this year because Canada's government doesn't think it's safe for players to travel back and forth from the U.S. amid the coronavirus pandemic. Canada has flattened the curve of the virus infection lately. The corruption trial of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has resumed following a two-month hiatus, a hiatus rather, Netanyahu not expected to appear at hearings today. This is SRN News. 
It's Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. With social distancing and sheltering in place, telemedicine is here. Bay Area Medical Home of Can Care Clinic offers telemedicine for new and established patients. You can see me without an office visit. Schedule an appointment at 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. When it's time for your appointment, type this web address into your cell phone or computer web browser doxy.me forward slash Bay Area Med. A cell phone works well and is all you really need. For computers, you need a web camera and speakers. We'll give you this address when you call for your appointment. We accept most insurances and travel insurances. Canadians and visitors, please call your travel insurance company for an authorization number prior to the visit. Co-pays and deductibles apply. Self-pay rates are available. Just ask. We accept credit cards, PayPal, and Stripe. 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. Balance of Nature, changing the world one life at a time. I started Balance of Nature, I think the beginning of this year, and I just had my six-month follow-up on my blood work. Oh my gosh, when the doctor's office called me, they were so impressed with the changes in my levels. It's hard to get a doctor excited, but when my doctor saw the blood work, she was excited. So I got a credit, the fruits and veggies, you know, balance of nature. And considering what I've seen in the blood work, it's well worth the cost. Experience the balance of nature difference for yourself. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 800-246-8751. That's 800-246-8751. Or by going to balanceofnature.com and make sure to receive this special radio offer by using discount code RESULTS. Take AM860 The Answer with you wherever you go with our mobile app, theanswertampa.com, Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, and at radio.com. Larry Elder explains the changes in America. Look, there's not going to be another great leader like MLK. The reason there's not going to be another great leader like MLK is because the circumstances are different. We don't have Jim Crow anymore. We don't have back of the bus anymore. It is an entirely different situation now. The Larry Elder Show, weeknights at 6 on AM 860, The Answer. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Today's sun and some clouds with a couple of thunderstorms around late in the afternoon with a high 94. A shower or a thunderstorm in spots early this evening. Otherwise, it will turn out to be partly cloudy tonight with a low 79. Partly sunny tomorrow with a thunderstorm around for the afternoon, high 95. And patchy clouds at night, low again 79. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Kevin Snyder for AM860 The Answer. 
on Facebook. I hope you had fun watching me making funny gestures and drinking my coffee. Well, I'm beating up on Fauci again, Anthony Fauci, the uh, head doctor with the coronavirus, COVID virus task force that was set up by the president. And uh, he has made a lot of uh, missteps and has yet to apologize for that, including not wearing masks back in February and March. And then the criticism of using hydroxychloroquine. And I think that we need to keep, uh, keep looking at this, especially as a preventative measure for those of us who are at high risk. And I know there's still a lot of doctors around the country who are taking hydroxychloroquine. <clears throat> so uh, I'm not giving up on it. And I'm not going to stop taking it either, Ken, I'll tell you. Now, one of the nurses, she's uh, a socialist. Uh, she's a Filipino American nurse, and she believes in socialism and social justice and all of that. And I uh, have gotten into debates with her before. And it's, it's difficult to, uh, to talk to people about this because a lot of times it's an emotional issue for them, and they really don't have the understanding of how economies work and what makes people prosperous in the long run and how to actually lift people out of poverty. And all you have to do is talk to people who grew up in the Soviet Union and, and then emigrated like in the 70s with the Save Soviet Jewelry and the way they lived. I mean, and, you know, it was really, it was just bleak, bleak. Uh, and so I think that we have to take into account the, uh, the emotional impact that socialism has on those, especially those who don't have the training or the intellect uh, or the uh, knowledge base to make intelligent decisions about economics. And that's not to say that I'm some economic genius because I'm not. But I at least have some fundamental understanding of how economies work, the law of supply and demand, so on and so forth. And so she said, what do you think about the president making the task force clear everything through the White House now before they say anything? And I said, well, they were supposed to be doing that all along. I mean, you know, the CDC is under the president. So it's it's his department. Uh, it's his area. And ultimately, everything in, in the executive branch ostensibly has to be cleared by the president. I mean, that makes sense. Ultimately, he's responsible for whatever the CDC does on his watch. I mean, does that make sense to you, Ken? I mean, Certainly. it makes Somebody's, sense. The, the buck stops at his office. Yeah, and so he has the authority to say, look, I don't want you to say that in public. I don't want you to go on air and say that. And uh, so I tried to find that, and I know where she got it. She got it off of CNN. I cannot find in the White House press releases anything that says that, uh, that Fauci can't go on air and, and uh, talk about things. And, uh, you know, the idea that the White House has uh, flubbed the opening and all that and that they're pushing to open up everything before there's actually uh, uh, safety there. But, you know, I went and I looked at, at, the, at the White House and they've got a link to the CDC, which gives the proposed state or regional gating criteria for when to open up their economies, phase one, two and three. 
And, you know, there has to be things like a downward trend in the number of cases over 14 days. There has to be a robust testing program. And there has to be the availability of health care facilities and workers and uh, the ability to take care of increased number of cases if you do open up, which is exactly what we're doing, Ken. I mean, this is craziness. So testing and contact tracing. The states have to have this. This is one of the, well, they don't have to, but this is the guidelines from our federal government, from the White House. You know, it's not the government, Doc, it's the people. It's you, the people. You've got to take some self-responsibility, folks. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the government, the White House, can only give you guidelines because we are not uh, a monolithic uh, uh, imperial country. We have 50 states that have a lot of autonomy as we are seeing now. And you know what? It's not such a bad thing because we can see what one state does and see if it works and apply that to another state if that helps that state or to regions. So like in Florida, you know, the big surge has been in Miami-Dade, uh, Tampa, St. Pete, Orlando, and the big dense population areas. So why do we want to punish Polk County if they're not having a bunch of cases, you know? Exactly. You know, But if you're in a bar, you can't be in a bar with no masks. Yeah two feet from somebody, you know, you just can't do it. Yeah. And uh, so the federal government has a proposed phase approach. There's phase one, two, and three. And the federal government is encouraging people to, uh, uh, to return to the workplace safely and for employers to insist on social distancing and protective equipment, temperature checks, sanitation, uh, watch out for business travel, monitoring your workforce, uh, if you can get people to work at home, uh, get them to do that, and all vulnerable individuals should be sheltered in place. So, you know, unfortunately, I'm vulnerable, but I'm not going to shelter in place because I got I got things to do, bud. You know, there's still a lot of patients to see and a lot of, a lot of Heinekens to drink, so, <laughs> so I'm, I ain't staying at home. <laughs> as long as you do so, it safely, that's all. Safe, yeah, yeah, with a mask on. Exactly. Of Might get a little messy, but do it. I've got a, like a little valve in my mask that, that <laughs> comes up. When always I'm innovating. The doctor's always innovating. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the return to work is essential. We've got to get back to work, but we can do this relatively safely. And for elective surgeries, uh, we can resume those as clinically appropriate and uh, on an outpatient basis if we have the bed space and the nurses. Our problem in our little hospital is that with the big surge the past couple of weeks, you know, we've got 30 to 40 patients in the hospital that are COVID positive and we're only 120 beds. And it's not that we're going to run out of beds. You know what we're running out of, Ken? What are we running out of? Nurses. Really? We don't, we don't have enough nurses. And so HCA, the big healthcare uh, hospital corporation, has uh, brought in or they're bringing in a thousand nurses from around the country uh, on, on a you know, PRN basis to Florida hospitals that are getting overwhelmed. We can handle the load with, with our physical plant and we don't need any more respirators and we don't need any more protective gear. We got all that. We need bodies to work. We need people to go in and, and set up the IVs and give the medications and monitor the vital signs and 
communicate with the doctors and the families. And, you know, that's what the nurses do. That's their job. And, you know, somebody's got to go in there and clean up the patients when when they're uh, too sick to take care of themselves and they're incontinent and all that. And so we need some bodies. Uh, and they're even offering uh, temp services are offering extra money for nurses to sign up and, and they call them travelers. It's a pretty cool name, don't you think? Traveling nurses, huh? Yeah, and so paying them extra to come and jump in and, and uh, uh, be employed by these hospitals that are in need of temporary increased demand for nurses. And so these are things that we have to consider when we talk about starting elective surgeries again. So, you know, your gallbladder that you've been waiting to get out or your hernia that needs to be repaired or your... Uh, little skin cancer that's gotten out of hand and you need to go into the OR because they're going to do a wider debridement. All these things are elective, but uh, they're important. You know, they're important. Occasionally hernias will get out of, of the, of the belly wall and they'll get strangulated. And then you got a, an, an emergency because the, the, the loop of bowel that gets out there will be strangled. It'll die. It'll cut off the blood supply to it. And uh, you know, that's an emergency. So elective surgeries, are elective because you're not dying right at this moment, but a lot of elective surgeries can cause you to have a lot of healthcare problems and to be hospitalized for an extended period of time. If your gallbladder ruptures, you're going to be in the hospital for a couple of weeks. Uh, so these are things that have to be considered. If your hip needs to be replaced and you're having a hard time walking and you're getting older and you're a little fragile and you trip and fall and you break the other hip, well, now that's an emergency. So these elective procedures that we talk about and that we think are uh, okay to put off for a while, some of them can. They are not. They are not safe to put off because there's other morbidities that can come along with them. Well, if you've got skin cancer, that's a pretty serious thing, if you have it especially. Yeah, and, uh, you know, a, a squamous cell cancer uh, although it takes a few years for it to get out of the barn, once it's out of the barn, there's just no treatment. There is no treatment. And the only people I've ever seen die from squamous cell skin cancer were Canadians who didn't get diagnosed. And uh, I, uh, I always have to laugh when they tell me they got a great health care system. I guess if you do it by the numbers, you know, how many people die from skin cancer in Canada uh, as opposed to how many die in the United States? Well, we're 10 times the size they are. So, And we have but sunshine. I, and we have sunshine, and they, they don't. They live in darkness <laughs> and, and fear. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, they, they're not leaving their homes up there. I mean, the, the, the prime ministers of the, of, the, uh, of the provinces have said, you can't, you know, you're, you're, you can't leave. You're sheltered in place. And people are, they're not letting their help. baseball team back in. The Toronto no, Blue Jays letting, can't even go back in. The Blue Jays can't even go back no. in. Not even to play to an empty stadium. No, they can't get in at all. What's wrong with those Canadians? <laughs> oh, my God. How did we lose to them in both the Revolutionary and the War of 1812? I don't understand that. We should have kicked butt, and they kicked <laughs> us both times. Maybe they know something we don't. Well, you know, they're their own people, so best they to are. to them. You know, they really are. But you know how lucky they are, Ken? Think about this. They can be that way. They can act that way because guess what? They've got us on their their big brother, little brother, whatever you want to call us, on their southern and western border. They've got mom on the eastern border. 
and they've got the Arctic Ocean on their northern border, and they've got all that frozen tundra, so they're not going to see a land invasion coming over the frozen tundra. And they're under our nuclear umbrella, so, you know, they're... they're, Yeah, I mean, you know, and they get all of our technology. Uh, We buy most of their goods. Uh, They buy a lot of our goods, too, which we're grateful for, but let's face it, this is an extremely protected country. The second largest land mass with, uh, what, 33, 35 million people in it. Oh, my gosh. And they... And they have a better view of the falls, too. I don't know. They do. They have the, <laughs> they have the horseshoe Canadian, view of the, hall, of the falls got, oh, there. They, yeah. And that's so much nicer. You know, you you go on the buffalo side of the falls, and you're like, this is the largest waterfall by volume in the world. And then you go across the bridge over into Niagara Falls, Canada, and you go up into one of the restaurants or one of the observation towers, and you look at that, and you're like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of water coming over the horseshoe there falls. Is. <laughs> There's a lot of water, man, and it is too cool. Uh, for those of you who have not been to Niagara Falls, you should grab a trip up there once before you die. Head on up to Buffalo, and you can get a direct flight with Allegiant Airlines out of the uh, Clearwater St. Petersburg Airport up in uh, northern Clearwater, and it'll fly you right into the Niagara Falls International Airport, which sounds really, really big, but I think they've only got four or five gates and it's a nice little airport, though, and, and it flies you right into Buffalo, and you just rent a car and drive across the uh, Friendship Bridge, and you're over in Niagara Falls, Canada. There's some great places to stay, casinos and uh, sightseeing, and you can go down. And Ken, did you go down into the cave where you go out onto the little platform? Yes, we did. You walk kind of behind the falls. Yeah, yes. and you, and you get sprayed, and right. everybody's all wet. And... Well, we did everything. We took the boat trip. We did the whole thing. We were on our honeymoon. We took a traditional Niagara Falls honeymoon. That's so sweet. Yeah, it was, yeah. That's well, 25 years ago, but, you know. <laughs> well, that's like yesterday. It feels like it. <clears throat> yeah, you know. Right. So as we, as we open up, uh, the, the phases are phase one, two, and three. This is from the White House. And this, these are not mandates because the president doesn't have that authority unless he invokes the War Powers Act, which he doesn't want to do. He's trying to step back and let the governors and the mayors handle their own situations. And uh, he has the, the White House task force under his auspices has said uh, schools and organized youth activities uh, should be careful, strongly consider special accommodations for, for personnel who are members of a vulnerable population. And as I talked about before, vulnerable uh, school children would be those with chronic conditions like asthma, cystic fibrosis, uh, active leukemias, undergoing chemotherapy, uh, chronic heart conditions, so on and so forth. And those kids should not be in the general school population. They can be schooled at home. We've got the K-12 and a lot of other online resources. And, you know, you can get a good education at home. I mean, a lot of parents are homeschooling their kids using these uh, online services. And they're fully accredited, too. And there's even uh, teachers that will come on and teach over the Internet. And you say, well, not everybody has access to a computer. Well, come on, we can get every kid a computer. That's not a big deal. We just don't want the parents selling them to go out and buy alcohol and drugs. So we we can open up with special accommodations, and uh, we have to be careful with uh, visiting senior care facilities and hospitals, and this should be prohibited until this is over. Uh, We did open up a little bit at St. Pete General, and now we're starting to close back down. 
the president recommends that gyms can remain open if they adhere to strict physical distancing and sanitation protocols and make them wear masks. Bars may operate with diminished standing room occupancy where, app- where applicable and appropriate. Where applicable, applicable and appropriate. So, Ken, it's not like the president's saying, oh, just go do what you want. That's not what the task force is saying. And the task force is not telling the governors, you got to open up. It's saying, look, we got three stages of this, phase one, phase two, phase three. And uh, this is what we have to do if we're going to get back to normalcy. Until the vaccines are out, until we have herd immunity, we got to do something about this and we've got to get opened up. And here are the things that we can do. And the president has laid it out through his task force, phase one, two, and three. And by the way, I have not seen any evidence anywhere that the president said the task force couldn't talk to uh, news reporters. Now, they may want to coordinate what is said, but that just makes sense. And, you know, I've been critical of President Trump for being so liberal with his people and allowing them to talk and say things uh, without at first being vetted through the White House. The White House has been uh, coordinating the message for 90 years. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You always always try to put a cohesive message out. Longer than that? What are you talking about? I mean, Lincoln had had telegraphs, so he knew immediately what was going on in the battlefields, and uh, he would let out what information he wanted and what he didn't, he didn't let out. And, you know, one of the people said to him, can you do that? He said, I'm the president of the United (laughs) States. I'm one of the most powerful men on earth. I can do what I want. (laughs) And he did. And, uh, you know, this is uh, just the way it is. I mean, it's not like I made these rules. It's not like it's something brand new. It's not. Well, so who is vulnerable? The elderly? I think that's me, Ken. No. 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 Young at heart. You're still young. Yeah, I'm still young. Listen, I can do it, baby. I can do it. I can go out and uh, dig potatoes and plant tomatoes and do all You ride bikes to Clearwater. Come on. Come on. I'm a biker. That's right. Well, a bicycler. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the vulnerable, again, are the elderly and individuals with seriously underlying health problems, including high blood pressure, chronic lung disease, diabetes, obesity, asthma, uh, and those uh, with immune system problems, you know, people like uh, those with rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or uh, uh, psoriasis. These people have to be very careful. So. These are the people that we need to think about and worry about. And that doesn't mean you can't leave the house. But if you're going to leave the house, for God's sakes, put on a mask and use your brain. Don't just uh, don't just don't just go about your business as if there's nothing wrong or nothing going on. Now, listen, a lot of people are saying this is way overblown. And I even know professors at medical schools are saying this is way overblown. Let it rip through society. And, uh, you know, I've also said If it rips through society and we lose one million people or two million people in the United States, it's certainly not the end of the world. Uh, And if we build up herd immunity, if that's what we have to do, that's what we have to do. And so we need to go ahead and start back out, but we need to do it safely and uh, let this thing gradually work its way through society. And hopefully we'll have a vaccine by the end of the year, which I think we will. So the White House task force 
uh, says that we're in a much better place in terms of per personal protective equipment and hospitalizations. We know we don't need as many respirators. Uh, we know that we can treat most of these people more conservatively. We have medications and medical regimens. Uh, and the president has stepped back and is letting, letting uh, Vice President Pence take over, which is a good thing, I think, for his political image. Because, you know, although I understand what the guy is saying, a lot of people are confused by him because he is not the most uh, understand. I don't know how to say this. You, you have to be able to. I think that he probably thinks faster than he talks. And uh, this is a problem with a lot of intelligent and very active people. And so I understand a lot of what he's saying when people say, well, that's crazy what he's saying. Shoot up, sanitiz yeah, shoot up uh, sanitizers into your vein. And that's not, of course, what he said. Uh, the, the coronavirus is a hoax. That's not what he said. And so when you sit down and you show people and you explain it to them, but, you know, it takes a lot of work to go back through all of these things and and uh, and uh, explain it to people. But Pence is pretty, pretty steady. He's a pretty good talker and he's very direct and he's very uh, he's very cadenced and he's very thoughtful in what he says. And he said last week, as the president has made clear, we want to open our economy up. We want to move America forward, even while we take and continue to take the necessary steps to save lives and protect American people. And uh, he said this, this is Vice President Pence, on the okay from the president of the country. Listen, quote, listen to and respect the guidance of your state and local authorities. The president's not trying to undermine the authority of the, of the state and local governments. They're putting pressure on them to move faster because of the uh, need for the economy to come back to life and for kids to get back to school and for Dr. Bill to be able to go into the publics and get a six-pack of uh, Heinekens. I mean, these are all very important things. And we need to recognize that this is different than two months ago for Pence both in our ability to respond and in the nature of those that are being infected, and that younger Americans have a particular responsibility to ensure that they are not carrying the coronavirus into a setting where they would expose it to the vulnerable. That's like old people like you and me, Ken. So, you know, if you've got kids, and I have a 23 going on 24-year-old, uh, you know, we've told them you've got to limit the people that come into the house. They can't be sick. They can't have a fever. And he's been pretty good about it. The only two people he's brought into the house were his very close friend, uh, Mauricio, and his latest girlfriend, Mel. And uh, they both look pretty healthy, and so we're not too worried. But we wore masks around them for the first couple of days. So this is the thing. If you're going to step out and you're going to do your thing, go ahead and do it. But do it safely. And let's not jump on the White House all the time. I mean, these guys are trying their best to to lead us through this. And, you know, they're learning as they go, too. And you've got people like Fauci, who, by the way, you probably have realized I'm not a big fan of, has been giving out misinformation and misleading our leaders and the public. And I don't know if Fauci's just not reading the studies completely, or he's not reading all of the data, or he doesn't understand, whatever it is, or whether he's a never-Trumper in, in, in disguise. I don't I don't know. I mean, I can't figure this guy out. I think he might just like the limelight.
and like to hear himself talk. He's a, 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 a real, uh, a real talker. I mean, he doesn't stop talking and great. I'm so happy for you. So long. Get out of here, Fauci. We need somebody else. We're getting close to the end here, bud. We are about a minute away, a little more than a minute away right now. So, so Ken, what are you going to do for the rest of the day? What's uh, your story? Well, I'm going to hang out with Jeff for a while and do some sports and maybe do some gardening after that. Very good. I'm going to go to the office and I'm going to plant some plants in the breezeway. And I had a big debate with the wife because I want to put up some gates to the openings to our breezeway because we have two buildings that are connected by a roof. And the, the bums come in there. And they drink beer and they poop all over the place. And so I want to lock it up, especially with the coronavirus. And she says, we don't have the money. And I'm thinking, woman, they're going to get you. They're not going to get me.